generation gathered around the throne and praising God. What we do here is just a little foretaste of that when we uh, come together on Sunday morning. Thank you. Uh, Would you take your Bibles and turn to Philippians chapter 3? This is the last week in our series. When the game is over, it all goes back in the box. And uh, we've been doing this, as you know, in our ABFs as well as in uh, Sunday morning here in the worship service. And today we're going to be talking about uh, the king has one more move. The king has one more move. I'd like to pray for us as we begin, and then we'll uh, move into the message. Let's pray. Father, what a great joy it is to be able to come together as your people to worship you and praise you. And we do look forward to that day when we will gather around your throne in heaven with all the people from all generations and all nations of the earth that have come into a relationship with Jesus Christ. And we will worship you forever and ever. Father, help us to think about those things today even in this message. To think about what is yet to come and to think about what is eternal and lasting. And to build our life upon those things that are essential. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today we're going to be talking about trophies. And I like the statement that John Ortberg made in his book about trophies. He said, a trophy is anything you can get other people to look at that will make them say, wow. You know, and, and you think about that. The things that we collect, you know, or things that we like as trophies are kind of along that line. We'd like somebody else to look at that, appreciate it, and say, wow. And when you think about what people collect, I mean, some people collect athletic trophies. And they've been in competition, and if you've had kids, you know, in competition through the years, you probably have a bunch of trophies at home that your kids have gotten for participating or being involved in a lot of sports activities. Some people collect things related to money, or they collect money, or homes, or cars, or investments. Some people like to hunt and fish, and and they love to collect trophies. You know, maybe they've got an elk mounted, or a deer, or maybe it's a muskie, or a bass, or they've taken pictures of those big game that they've captured through the years. Some people collect degrees, titles, uh, things that they've earned through the years as they've gone to school, and they've enjoyed that, studying and learning, and so they have a number of degrees that they've collected. And other people, as a hobby... Uh, pick up collectibles, and they collect things, whether it's Longerberger baskets or baseball cards or snow villages or maybe coins or other things that they've picked up and, and collected through the years. Well, that got me thinking, what do I collect? Or what have I collected through the years? And so I went down in the basement and I did some digging and I, I pulled out an old box that is, is really something I've been carrying around for about 40 years. It's a collection of grade school and high school things. And I, I laugh when I saw the box. I don't know if you can see this. It says 50 pounds of creamery butter. I, the box is as old as the stuff that's in it. It comes right off the farm. My wife asked me, did you really get 50 pounds of butter? I said, yeah, I went with the 700 pounds of potatoes we'd bring from the garden, you know, in the fall. And and we had all this stuff. So so what is in here? Well, you know, I I did some digging, and I go, what is this? I have not looked in this box for years. And this is a box of rocks. I'm going, what is that doing in here? 
It says mineral specimens of Minnesota, earth science or something. I guess I, guess I was more of a rock hound than I thought when I was young. Uh, we got in here, you know, letters from playing football and basketball or band and choir. We got these letters, and, and I've got, you know, from the letterman jacket, you know, we were the, the ponies, the worn ponies. And I remember uh, when I came here, Wade said, where's Wade? He's around here somewhere. He was, he was saying that uh, there's only two teams in the state of Minnesota that have the ponies as the mascot, Warren and, do you know what the other one was? Stillwater, that's right, that's where he went. So, all right. Hey, even got some artwork. Uh, Gail, why is this not up in the man room? I don't know. You know, what do you think? <laughs> you know, and I probably made that in shop class, though, I think, rather than art. Uh, I don't know. Oh, here's a trophy somebody might enjoy. An autographed picture of Bill Brown. Bill Brown, the football player. Now, it's a little hard to see up there in the balcony, but... Um, Bill Brown, for those that are younger, you know, he was sort of like the Adrian Peterson of the Vikings, you know, in his day. And anybody remember what his nickname was? Bill Boom Boom Brown. Yeah, he was the leading rusher for the Vikings for many years. Yeah. They came out, they played our faculty, and, uh, you know, in the winter they'd travel around the state playing basketball. I got a note here on the back that our faculty won 80 to 75. So I guess, I guess those Vikings weren't that good. And, basketball there. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, and I got stuff like uh, 1965 American League champions, the Twins, when they won the pennant. I've got, uh, oh, pictures of old uh, girlfriends. No, no, I mean, uh, <laughs> I mean, uh, classmates, classmates. That's what this is. Yeah, and, <laughs> and even a, a diploma, but it's a little, little kind of mildewy almost or you know it's been in this box so long but at least it shows that I did graduate and finished high school and did all of that but I, I look at this and I go you know is this going to mean anything to anybody I mean that that diploma sort of illustrates the problem with trophies that the trophies that we collect the problem with them is they just sit around and they collect dust and what's going to happen, you know, when I die, are my kids going to be interested in that, or is it just going to go in the trash? And here I've been carrying this around, or had it stored for 40-some years, but will it mean anything to anyone? You see, the trophies of this earth are temporary. They're going to pass. doesn't matter, you know, what of these earthly kind of things that we're collecting. There's nothing wrong with having a hobby and collecting things that we enjoy, but it's going to pass. And there's nothing wrong with working toward a goal and wanting to win a championship at whatever level it may be in, but you know, in the future, people are going to forget that. Who's going to remember who won which trophy when? All those things will pass. And if we are building our self-worth on earthly trophies, we are on shaky ground. If that's what we are using to kind of give us an identity or a sense of worth, then that's not going to last. Several years ago, there was a movie that was called Cool Runnings. It was about the Jamaican bobsled team. You know, remember that? I mean, it sounds just ridiculous to even think about Jamaica having a bobsled team. You know, the weather just doesn't quite fit. And uh, these guys were so caught up in wanting to win that they thought, if they don't get a medal, none of this is going to matter. 
We have got to get a medal. And they had this coach who was a 400-pound former Olympic uh, athlete. He had won a medal in bobsledding about 20 years ago, but his life since then had been just a total loser. You know, he had not done anything with anything else in his life, it seemed like. But he made a very wise statement. And what he said to them was, he said, if you're not enough before the gold medal, you're not enough with it. If you're not enough before the gold medal, you're not enough with it. If you're looking for that medal to give you meaning and significance in life, then something's missing. When we look at the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul collected religious trophies, we could say. And he thought that his good works and his efforts would earn him favor with God. Look at Philippians chapter 3, verses 4 to 6. Paul writes that if anyone else thinks he has reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. I am a Hebrew of Hebrews. And in regard to the law, I am a Pharisee. And as for zeal, I persecuted the church. And as for legalistic righteousness, I was faultless. And people looked at that list of, you know, credentials that they had, and they'd say, wow, I mean, you know, Paul, that's pretty amazing. All those things kind of stacked up there. I mean, that's kind of like the the pinnacle of what you would have wanted if you were going to be a good religious Jew. But what Paul saw is that it's possible to be religious, even zealous, and not know God. And then Paul met Christ on the road to Damascus and everything changed. And we read that in the verses that follow, in verses 7 and 9, when he said, Whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. And what is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For whose sake I have lost all things and I consider them rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. He considered all those old trophies rubbish. Rubbish. They didn't mean a thing. What really means everything is knowing Jesus Christ. And what we need more than anything else is the righteousness of Christ to cover all our sins. Well, when we look at the Scripture, we do see that God rewards faithfulness. God rewards those who put their trust in Him and who follow what He has said. And the Bible tells us that one day we are all going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ, the Bema seat. And each one will receive what is due. Uh, Do them for things done while in the body, whether good or bad. That's 2 Corinthians 5.10. And the Bible uses the word crown to describe the reward that we will receive in that day. The word in Greek is the word uh, Stephanus. It was a laurel wreath that would be placed upon the victor's head. And it could be uh, given for a military victor or it could be an athletic victor, but it was this laurel wreath that was given to them to symbolize what they had done. 
But in 1 Corinthians 9.25, Paul tells us that the wreath that they will receive is perishable. But the wreath that Christians will receive is an imperishable one. Those crowns in Scripture are identified in different places, and I think these are just examples, as the victor's crown in 2 Timothy 2.5. There's the crown of righteousness in 2 Timothy 4.8 that's for all who long for the appearing of Christ or His return. There's the crown of life, that is eternal life, that is given to all those who are faithful and trust Him to the end. There's the crown of glory that is given, 1 Peter 5, 4, for faithful service, for following Jesus and serving Him with our heart and our soul and our mind and our strength. And those are pictures of of what it's going to be like in that day when God rewards those who have been faithful. But the crowns that we receive in that day won't puff up. It's not going to be like people are going to be walking around in heaven with lots of crowns and we'll look and we'll say, ooh, look at them or what they did or, you know, all these kind of things because ultimately the picture we get in Revelation 4 is that all those crowns go back to Jesus. We have a picture in Revelation 4 where the elders take those crowns and they lay them at the feet of Jesus because everything that we have is from Him and to Him and belongs to Him. And what a great thing it will be to lay those crowns at the feet of Jesus and to say, thank you, Jesus, for what you have done in our life. When the Bible says that God rewards faithful service, it's not just the big things that we might think of. It's not just the martyrs and the missionaries who get a crown. It is the little things, too, that God sees and rewards. I mean, Jesus himself said this in Matthew chapter 10, verses 40 to 42. He said, he who receives you receives me. And he who receives me receives the one who sent me. So anyone who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And anyone who receives a righteous man because he is a righteous man will receive a righteous man's reward. And if anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones because he is my disciple, I tell you the truth, he will certainly not lose his reward. That's amazing, isn't it? I mean, he's saying it's the little, it's not just the big things, it's the little things. I mean, the one who prays, the one who gives, and the one who goes are all rewarded for their service for Christ. When you and I join in praying for those who we've sent out as missionaries, we're sharing in the work. And that's important and vital that we do that. When we give to support the work of the church or the work of missions or when we give to feed the hungry, God sees those gifts and He rewards those who are faithful and who give in obedience to what God has asked of us. Even the little things are not missed by God. Kevin Miller uh, writes in Church Leaders Online that he tells a story about his father that taught him a very important lesson on leadership. He was a young boy of 11, and his dad was taking him away on a camping trip. 
And they were going to go out and they had a cabin in the woods in New Hampshire where they were going to camp and do some fishing. And, and he was so excited, you know, it was like a rite of passage for him, 11-year-old boy. You know, as they're walking through the tall pines of New Hampshire, he's just loving every step. And when uh, they go fishing, they put all their gear in the canoe and they're out there on the Ossipi River. You know, he's casting his MEPS lure out there and he's, you know, wanting to do the fish thing and catch some fish. And he's in, in boyhood heaven. I mean, this is the greatest thing, to be with your dad, to be out on the water fishing and just enjoying that one-on-one -on -one time with your dad. And he wanted to make his dad proud of him. Well... They were staying in a cabin, and a couple nights later, he got sick. He woke up sick to his stomach, and he thought he was going to throw up. And he was in the top bunk, and the cabin was a little cold, and he decided, you know, he didn't really want to climb out of that warm top bunk and make it to the bathroom, and so he just threw up over the side of the bunk bed onto the floor. Ever been there? You know, parents, you know what happens next. Dad comes in, you know, and it's like, couldn't you have made it to the bathroom? <laughs> you know? And couldn't you have gotten up and moved a little bit in that direction at least? You know, And he knew he was wrong. He said, I'm sorry, Dad. He said, I knew I deserved every angry comment that would come. I had done something foolish, messy, embarrassing, and worst of all, childish. But my dad didn't yell. He didn't call me names. He shook his head a little. And then he left and came back with a bucket of warm, sudsy water, and he got down on his hands and knees, and he scrubbed every pine board on that floor until it was clean. He said, when my dad died, he left me with that picture, that leaders scrub floors. That there are times in ministry when people may do things that are awful and embarrassing messes. And what do you do? You help clean it up. And you come alongside of people when they are hurting and you help clean up those messes because that's exactly what Jesus did for us. When he told the disciples, he said, Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. Christian leaders scrub floors. It's not just the big things that God sees. It's the little acts of service and compassion and prayer, and giving, and support that we do for others that means an awful lot in this world. So if the trophies in this life that we kind of collect are temporary and passing, what are the trophies that really are worth playing for? What are the trophies that are going to last beyond this life? And what we see is that the trophies that matter most are the person I am becoming in Christ and the people I am influencing for Christ. It's who we are becoming in our relationship with Jesus Christ. Are we growing in that relationship with Him? And who are the people that we are influencing and pointing to Christ or discipling or encouraging or praying for along the way? When I look at this passage in Philippians, what I see again is how Paul turned his focus from those things that once were so important to him and he put his eyes on Christ. And he said that my greatest joy in life is to know Jesus Christ. And I want to be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes by any kind of self-effort, but I want to have the righteousness of Christ. 
I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. I want to become like him in his death and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. That was Paul's heart. And what we see in Paul's life is this reflection. You may have heard this statement before. I think it's a good one. It's a catchy little way to say this. But you know that to know Christ, to know him, is to love him. And to love him is to serve him. And to serve him is to know him. It's all three. I mean, if we really want to know Christ, I mean, then we're going to love him. And if we really love him, then we're going to do what he asks. And we're going to serve him. We're going to serve his people. And when we serve, what we find is that we grow in our understanding of who Jesus is and what he is like. And we become more and more like him. The author of Hebrews shared that same passion when he said, let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us, and let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. So there's a race marked out for each of us, and it's different. We don't all travel the same path. We are pointed in the direction, you know, we're following Christ, we're headed toward heaven, but there's a different path that each of us take in the circumstances of our life with the gifts that we've been given or with the trials and the sorrows that come into our life, and God wants us to walk those paths faithfully, keeping our eyes on Jesus and trusting him. And more than anything else, Jesus wants a heart from us that is fully devoted to him. A heart that is humble, a heart that's teachable, that is faithful, and that is obedient. And then when Paul thought about crowns, what mattered most to him was the people that he was influencing for Christ. He thought about people. Take a look at these passages. A little farther down in Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, he's thinking about heaven. And he tells us that our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. And therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, there it is. That is how you should stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. He's saying this should be our ambition for all of us to follow Christ and to remember what is awaiting us in the future. And what will be my greatest joy in heaven? What will be the thing that I look forward to presenting before the Lord? It is you, my joy and my crown. He says the same thing in 1 Thessalonians 2, verses 19 and 20. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. What a great statement. You know, it was the people that he led to Christ. It was the churches where he ministered. It was the men that he had discipled in his life that meant the most. And he was looking forward to seeing them in heaven and to, in a sense, presenting them before the Lord. They were his greatest crown. You know, John Harper was a man who shared that same kind of passion. John Harper was born into a Christian family May 29, 1872. 
He became a Christian at age 13. He started preaching by the time he was 17. He pastored a church in London that was called the Baptist Pioneer Mission. And then later, he started a church that's now known as the Harper Memorial Church in London. Started with 25 worshipers, but it grew to 500 members by the time that he left 13 years later. And then in 1912, John Harper was called to pastor Moody Church in Chicago. And so he was going to travel across the Atlantic. He got tickets on a steamship, and he and his six-year-old daughter would travel first, and his family would follow. And the tickets for the steamship that they were on board were for the Titanic. He was on that ship when it struck an iceberg and began to sink. He put his daughter, Nana, into a lifeboat, and he apparently made no effort to follow her. Instead, he began to run through the ship shouting, women, children, and unsaved into the lifeboats. Women, children, and unsaved into the lifeboats. Survivors report that he began witnessing to anyone who would listen. He continued preaching even after he had jumped into the water and was clinging to a piece of wreckage. He gave his life jacket to another, hoping that they might survive. And how do we know all of this? It's because his final moments were recounted four years later at a church in Hamilton, Ontario, by a man who said this, that I am a survivor of the Titanic. When I was drifting alone on a spar that awful night, the tide brought Mr. Harper of Glasgow, also on a piece of wreck near me. And man, he said, are you saved? No, I said, I am not. And he replied, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. The waves took him away, but strangely brought him back a little while later. And he said, are you saved now? And the man said, no, I am not. I cannot honestly say that I am. And he said again, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And shortly after that, he sank into the frozen water and drowned. Alone in the night with two miles of water under me, I believed, and I am John Harper's last convert. That man was one of only a few people that were picked out of the water by the lifeboats. The other 1,522, including John Harper, died. John Harper carried that passion for the lost to the end of his life. He knew the greatest thing that he could do for another would be to point them to Jesus as Savior and Lord. And for John Harper and for all who know Christ, death is not the end because the king has one more move. You know, when Jesus hung on the cross, a lot of people thought that was the end. His enemies thought we're done with this impersonator. We're done with this false messiah. But the king had one more move. And he rose again triumphant. And a lot of people think that Christians are foolish in the way they live, putting their trust in someone like Jesus. I mean, don't you know that this world is all there is and when we die, we die? They do not know that the king has one more move. And for the Christian, death is not the end, but the day is coming when Jesus will make all things new. And if we have placed our trust in him as our Savior and Lord, even as he rose from the dead, we too will live again. 
We were made for another world. Paul tells us that our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus, when He comes, will change our lowly bodies so that they will be like His glorious body. And we will be reunited with those we love in Christ. That is worth living for. Amen? Amen. Amen. So don't be discouraged when trials come. And don't let the sorrows of this life keep you down. They will pass. And we will live again with Jesus. The day is coming when our God and our King will make all things new. Let's pray. Father, what a great hope we have and how much we need to be reminded of that each and every day. When we struggle with things in our life that cause us sorrow or grief or pain, you are there. And you fill us with hope because you have triumphed over the grave, that you have won the victory. And when we place our faith in you, we share in that victory. Father, today I pray if there's anyone here who's not come into a relationship with you, who wants to know Jesus as their Savior and Lord, I pray that they would do what John Arbor said. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Confess your sins to Him. Ask for His forgiveness. Ask Him to be your Savior and Lord. And He will take you at your word. Jesus, thank you for all that you have done for us. Amen.